I'm going to point you now to the Gospel of John. We've been journeying through, and we are in chapter 8, and we're right in the middle of the chapter, starting at verse 31. Looking forward to preaching this morning after uh, a few wonderful sermons uh, from some guest preachers. Kenny, who's my neighbor two weeks ago, he walks his dog by my house every day. That's how we became friends. Pastor Kenny from Remembrance Church, and then Dave, who has stepped up to do some awesome sermons this summer. And pray for him, because his little one is feeling sick, so he had to step out right before uh, the service this morning. So um, with that, hear uh, from the Gospel of John, open your hearts, make yourself good soil to receive this word. To the Jews, who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Where he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you, the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word this morning. May you illuminate that which you would wish to illuminate so that we 
can come to know you for who you truly are and how uh, you place a claim on our lives that if we know your truth, that we can indeed be free. Help us to receive uh, your words and may they become actions of faithful disciples. In your precious and holy name we pray, amen. All right, so I want to uh, point you, hopefully you got an outline this morning of the text or just let me ask out loud to you a simple question that I think most people that want to follow Jesus have asked in their life, which is this. What does it mean to be free in Christ? What does it mean to be free in Christ? If you had to answer that question, what would you write down? And also, we could ask it more personally, right? We could ask the question, what does it mean for you to be free in Christ? And I want to set that question against the backdrop of the, the common struggle that we all have. It may go something like, okay, so I've been going to church for a long time. I went to camp and I wrote my sins down on that piece of paper and I put it in the fire and I thought that was the end of it, right? That somehow that it was done and everything had changed. Um, I've been coming for a long time and yet if I'm honest, or maybe for a short time, but if I'm honest, there are still nights where it's really hard for me to get past my past. Or there are some nights where I'm thinking about the future and I'm feeling incredibly anxious. And so, am I free? What does it mean to really be free in Christ? And the context of uh, Jesus' conversation here, last week we talked about how There's a really pointed conversation that's happening between the Jews and Jesus. And as this conversation is going on, it's really about Jesus' identity and who Jesus is. And I'm not sure if Jesus, you know, there was no official ruling on if Jesus won the debate or not, or if he convinced his debate partners about who he was. But it does say at the end of the text, surprisingly, because there's some tough stuff that's being discussed, It says that people who were watching this conversation began to believe in him. And so you saw here in our first verse, it said, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him. So now he's addressing a new audience. He's talking to those who are beginning to believe in him, that have heard what he had to say, and are now there's a little opening, right, for him to teach them what true discipleship looks like, what is possible when you are able to hear Jesus, the truth of who Jesus is, what becomes possible. Imagine this possibility that you could be free. We all want this, don't we? 
that we would sign up for, even though we struggle to understand it or experience it, that we all genuinely, I think, would sign off on saying, I would like to be free of shame and bitterness and patterns of addiction and depression and anxiety and a lack of purpose or self-confidence, whatever it is that you fill in the blank there, I think we would all say, yes, I would like freedom from these things. And so, potential disciples this morning, if you have a little opening, maybe we could look at Jesus' words here and see how that might become possible. And let me just return you back to Jesus' teaching. This time on your outline, you see it's in the ESV because there's a little more literal translation from the NIV translation that brings out an important thematic word in the Gospel of John that we're going to see again. Um, So Jesus says to these potential disciples, he says this, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's a connection here between this abiding and this freedom. And so simply, I just have three steps here to give us to talk about how do we actually experience the freedom that Christ has to offer us through understanding Jesus' truth. And to get there, I think I just want to start with a definition that's helpful because, man, we have so many different understandings, don't we, about what freedom is, right? In our culture, in our society, there's great debates around freedom and what it really truly means. So just a helpful definition, I think, here, and a challenging one for us, I think. Let me share with you what James Finley teaches about the gospel. He says, our deepest freedom rests not in our freedom to do what we want to do, but rather in our freedom to become who God wills us to be. Let me read it to you one more time. Our deepest freedom rests not in our freedom to do what we want to do, but rather in our freedom to become who God wills us to be. There's a definition of freedom here that I think if we were able to share with one another as disciples of Jesus, that it could really reorient our decisions, right? How we encourage our children, how we define what freedom is for each other and for the next generation, we could just go, you know what? It's really about discovering who you are in God, who God made you to be, what God designed you to do. And so really every decision that we make can result from this desire to be free in this way, to be so understanding of God and who he is and his truth that then it begins to shape and form our understanding of who we are and how we would articulate what the truth is of being alive. Jesus has another moment with his early potential disciples up on a mountain where he teaches about the focus of a disciple, like actually using the eyes as a way to illustrate what's so important about the focus of a potential disciple. In Matthew 6, through 23, 
our first step here is to learn how to identify the truth. And Jesus teaches on that. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? As I'm reading that text to you now, I'm just getting an image. It's a modern image, right, of, we see it all the time. It's of somebody who's sitting in a dark place by themselves, but has a glowing screen, right? And they're going through their electronic device. And I wonder how thinking about that image in line of what this text is saying and what it strikes in your mind, right? Because there's such a focus economy right now. Like everything around us is trying to steal our focus. And yet we see Jesus here teaching that if we think about how we see and what we look at, it is so important as this portal into the rest of us, right? And, and the more we learn how to see and identify the light, the more free we will be, right? And the more we're distracted or unconsciously moving in spaces of unhealth or, or just doom scrolling for the sake of doom scroller, whatever it may be, that there's a way by which there's a cumulative effect of just like building on this darkness. And so, so this is this fundamental posture of a disciple is somebody who is looking for the light. It's trying to identify the light. At VBS, we teach our children this. We call it God sightings, right? We're just simply going around understanding there's dark things in the world, but we are looking for the light in the darkness. We're trying to become the light in the darkness, and the first step in doing that is to be able to identify what God looks like, what God feels like, what it's like to be part of his kingdom, to participate in this. Another illustration uh, that may get to the point here, last year I coached AYSO soccer for some seven and eight-year-old boys, and um, I, I, I had a good time because my team was pretty good, <laughs> and I got to take credit for it, you know. And I had this one kid on my team, his name was Edom, and he was an incredible offensive player. He was a little bit smaller. He was like our little Lionel Messi, but he was a little bit smaller, but boy, could he dribble, and boy, could he shoot, and boy, did he want to score goals. And so he wanted to play offense all the time, and he wanted to take the ball, and he wanted to score. And he dominated the weaker teams, and you just dribble around everybody and go and score. But when we started playing some of the better teams, they figured out that he was the guy to stop. And so they wouldn't just send one player, they'd send multiple players to Edom. And sometimes Edom would get caught because he'd be looking down at his feet. And he'd be looking at his fancy dribbling and all of a sudden somebody would come up from behind him and take the ball and he'd fall down and he'd get disappointed and he didn't know what to do. He would just keep trying harder and harder and harder to score with the same tactic. 
and eventually became like diminishing returns, right? He, we started losing because he was taking it all upon himself to try and score the goals. So one day, uh, in, in a pause, in a, in a break, I went over to him and I said, Edom, you are an incredible soccer player and an incredible scorer. But let me share with you a lesson that every great player learns as they develop. What all the greatest soccer players learn. They learn to look up and to see the field, to see the other players. And would you mind passing to one of them, right? (laughs) Because they're open and we're gonna lose. If you, I didn't say all that, but you know, I just said <laughs> that you need to learn how to see, right? In some ways, that's, that's the teaching we need to receive from Jesus this morning is, is that we can get caught up, can't we? We can just get caught up thinking it's all on us. Even if we're good at something, we can get really caught up and thinking it's all about us, and we need to take it all on. And if we don't take it all on, then everybody else is going to be in trouble because we're the one who has to fix it all. Or somehow we're struggling, and we made a mistake, and we're just looking at ourselves, beating ourselves up over and over and over and over again. And yet both of those are ways really to stay focused at your feet, and to become vulnerable to attacks when in reality, if you would look up, like Jesus maybe wants to say to us this morning, let me tell you how all the greatest people have lived their lives. All the ones that I've looked down and, and seen that have did it the best, that did it the right way. They looked up and they saw everybody else on the field, and all of a sudden they knew what role that they could play in life's game, right? And so there's this way by which there's just this beautiful reminder, and maybe you could even think, man, when I'm looking at the light, do I feel free? Is that a moment when I feel free? Just when I begin to identify the truth? Okay, next step would be to know the truth. Right? So it's not just be able to identify it, but then to be able to rely on it. And let me read to you from our text a tricky response from these potential disciples when they heard how abiding in the truth of Jesus could set them free. This is how they responded. They said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone How can you say that we shall be set free? Okay, like literally, those of you who are students of the Bible, we know that this isn't true, right? That actually the Jews have been slaves many times in their history, right? And so there's this internal posture. Maybe they felt like they were slaves, but they weren't truly slaves. But there's this conversation going on around Jesus, you're trying to tell me something about who I am that I flat out reject, that I will not hear. Because he's asking them like he asked Nicodemus to be born again. And they just simply can't understand it. 
Later, Jesus says they just don't have room for his word. They don't have room for it. Like they're so full of other things, of what they already know and what they're already about, that there's just no room for Jesus to come in, for the truth to come into their lives. See, there's just some things we need to know. There's just some things that we need to know. God loves you, and he loves you enough not to leave you in a pit of despair. Not to leave you in the darkness. Not to leave you in sin and death. And to do that, he has to point it out. He has to speak the truth. In uh, the Gospel of Mark, Jesus speaks to the rich young ruler and he tells him a very difficult truth. He asks him, he says, you know a lot of the truths of uh, the Jewish teaching in the Old Testament, but would you follow me? And in that gospel, it's different than the others. He says, it says that Jesus looked on the rich young ruler with love. Right, so there's this way in which he's telling the truth, but the context is love. God loves you enough to call you out and wonder if there is a place safe enough where you can admit how easy it is for you to fall into patterns of dysfunction that leave you hurting and leave the people around you hurting. Is there a place like that? that you can go to. Like if you were there before Jesus and you were able to be as in touch with the truth as Jesus is in touch with the truth and there you discover he knows. And so instead of what you might expect, what you see is Jesus there saying, you found it. Those things that need to be found, those sins that need to be dealt with, you found them. These are often places that are soaked in tears, but they are the very place of true healing. They're the things that Jesus decides to give us most, and where there is healing, there is freedom. And I think it's great if we think about knowing now, we can think about a knowing in heart, a knowing in mind, and a knowing in soul. That we wouldn't just know this, know this intellectually, but we would know this uh, through and through in every part of our being. But our mind certainly is one of those places, right? So like in Philippians, the teaching is this, finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Have you been living in that place this week? Where you're dwelling on what's noble and right and honorable and pure. It's there that your mind is free. Like if when you're thinking about those things, you feel free, right? Or thinking about your heart and the places that can become hardened by betrayal, the places 
that we all struggle with through relationships where, where things go south or we're not making the right connections. Even with the people closest to us, we seem to miss the communication and we get hurt and we, we get hard, don't we, in heart. We don't want to keep extending ourselves in these ways because we want to protect those places that get hurt. But the love and healing presence of Jesus gives us a new context and a new way of thinking about these hurts, right? Like, like there's a hurt, there's a heart that's free. A free heart would be one that's willing to be vulnerable and to love and to extend. Not because of the responses of others and hoping to get something out of them, but because Jesus has loved and given and has been vulnerable. And it's in receiving that that then we are able to extend that out to each other. And then somehow that's what a free heart looks like, right? That's what a free uh, healed heart would do in the world. And then finally, let's think about our souls. What does a free soul look like? Like the kind of uh, song that be, can be sung in a prison, right, by Paul. The outside world has rejected him and things have befallen him. And yet inside, in the deepest recesses of who he is, he knows he's still with Jesus, even in the jail cell. And so his song, his soul's song is there to sing and the prison doors come flying open. And so that's what knowing truth looks like. When you know it in your being, you become more free. And then finally, let's just get to living in the truth, which has everything to do with this idea of abiding, right? Just a helpful reminder. These are not truths that you know once and then you have these truths. You probably know them, you know, a lot of you have known them intellectually for a long time. But have you learned to abide in them is a real question. Have you learned how to be with Jesus, to maintain a connection to Jesus in your walking everyday life? C.S. Lewis describes how we learn this in a beautiful little section in Mere Christianity. He writes this. That is why the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, Letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And so on all day long. Standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings coming in and out of the wind. We can only do it for moments at first. But from those moments the new sort of life will be spreading through our system. 
because now we are letting him work at the right part of us. It is the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or a stain which soaks right through. Don't you just want to be soaked right through with the love and truth of Jesus Christ? One final story, because at the end of Jesus' conversation here, there's another famous saying. There's two very famous sayings. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But then there's another one that is that the devil is a liar, right? Or when the devil speaks, he speaks his native tongue, which is lies or untruths. It's an important teaching. It's a startling teaching to those who were hearing it that who they thought they were following and who they were actually following was totally different. And, you know, we, when we talk about such things, we can get afraid or feel uncertain about what it means to talk about that there's a real enemy out there, that when we start to think about these things and talk about these things, that there's somebody who wants to come and lie and manipulate take the things that we've, we've learned here from Jesus and sort of uproot them, get us distracted again when we leave this place. And so let me tell you one final story, I think, about how maybe we could think about the devil and the presence of evil. Uh, a friend of mine told me how recently, uh, over the summer, he went on a trip to Sequoia National Park and there are some caves that you can explore there where you could go pretty deep down um, into the cave and see all those stalagmites and stalactites and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, he said that they went on a tour and they had flashlights as they were going through the tour because it got pretty dark down there in the cave. But then at one point, the tour guide told them to turn off their flashlights and they realized that they were in a place where there was really no visible light. Like, it was really utter darkness. Total utter darkness. And, like, you could wave your hand in front of your face. You couldn't see anything. And so the tour guide paused for a moment for everyone to acknowledge where they were. And then just struck a match and lit a candle. And then all of a sudden they realized that just with this one small burning flame that they could see as the light flickered through the canyon the way out. And if you remember, John begins his gospel this way. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so as we, potential disciples, disciples of Jesus, seek to live, to identify, to know, and to become the light that Jesus has, may we be encouraged that though there are many things that come against us on this journey, that none of them are as powerful as Jesus, as the light of Jesus Christ. One of my great joys that uh, comes with a privilege of coming, becoming a pastor 
is that when we sing the Gloria Patri, or as I get to stand up here, I really particularly like to do it during the Gloria Patri, I get to look up at the stained glass uh, window out here in the back of the church. And the very last window, you can look at it later, you can't even see it from your seat, is Jesus' light on a hill. And so it's like a reminder that, that goes out at the very top of all things, of everything, that there is a light that guides us, that shines forth, and is a great encouragement to me that that's where we're all headed. So we need to practice now. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you help us to identify the light, your light, your life present all around us and in us? Lord, would you heal us in mind, in heart, and in soul so that we might taste the freedom that is only possible in you? And Lord, may we learn how to abide there, to stay connected to you. I pray for strength and weakness, Lord, this morning, knowing your grace is enough. May you bless each and every person here. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.